My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. you have your Bible and you want to follow along today, you can turn to Numbers chapter 13. Last week, we began exploring this idea of peace, the peace that God promises to us. In John 14, Jesus makes a promise that he's going to give us peace, but there's a depth to this promise that Jesus makes that he doesn't just say, I've got peace for you, but he gives us some things around this peace And there's a lot for us to unpack. Jesus says this. He promises this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And this is where we begin to to need to unpack. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus Jesus says, I'm giving you peace. He doesn't say earn my peace. He doesn't say try and gather my peace. He he says, I'm going to give you peace. But so often in our lives, peace is hard to come by. So why is that? We have a good God whose promises never fail, who, who, who his word is true, who spoke the universe into creation, and he says, I I'm going to give you, Brad, I'm going to give you peace. I am going to give you peace. But we don't always experience peace. In fact, more often than not, we probably don't. Why? Why is that? And what we're going to discover and what we began to discover last week is the challenge that we have in walking in peace is that there are two sources of peace in our lives. There's the peace that Jesus here says he's going to give to us. But we can also find peace in the world around us. But Jesus said, the peace that I'm giving to you, I'm not giving to you peace as the world would give you peace. It's different than that. But the world offers us peace. And we can easily fall into a trap of believing that the peace that the world offers us is the same peace that Jesus offers us. That when we experience the peace of the world, that we're actually experiencing the peace of God. And that's because it's the same word that we use, that we talk about peace. And so if I can experience peace in any form, it must be peace from God. But then when we understand the peace of the world being the peace from God, it makes it very understand, hard to understand the peace of God because the peace of God doesn't look like what peace of God should look like if we're thinking we're experiencing the peace of God when we're really experiencing the peace of the world. See, the peace of God is actually diametrically opposed to the peace of the world. They're not the same thing. We can talk about experiencing peace from both directions, but we're not experiencing the same thing. They may be the same word, but they're totally different. 
See, the world's peace, what we often think of when we think of peace, is really the absence of anything that would rob us of peace. Peace and quiet doesn't exist when it's noisy. That the moment it's noisy, that peace goes away. The peace of quiet cannot overcome noise. Noise can only overcome peace and quiet. Add noise and the peace is gone. A peaceful home doesn't exist where there's conflict. When you add the conflict, the peace is gone. The peace cannot overcome conflict. Once conflict exists, there is no more peace. You see, the peace of the world is a weak, fragile, breakable peace that only exists when there's nothing leaning on it. Then the moment something shows up, that peace is gone. The moment fear shows up, that peace is gone. The moment anxiety shows up, the peace is gone. The moment doubt shows up, that peace is gone. The moment insecurity shows up, that peace is gone. It's as simple as the moment the enemy shows up and whispers, yeah, but that's all it takes. And that peace is gone. The peace that the world offers has no power to overcome our circumstances. It can only exist in a world without the pressure of circumstances. And the moment something comes in that's contrary to our peace, immediately our peace folds. And this is why it can be so hard for us to find the peace of Jesus in our lives. Because we see that Jesus promises peace, and as we try to find patterns and lifestyles of peace in our lives, or even moments of peace, they can be so quickly corrupted by the things pushing on them that we never see it for long, that we long for the peace of Jesus. And so I find a moment of peace in my life, but the moment something, anything shows up to ruin that peace, it's gone. And I think, Jesus, you promised me peace, and I cannot find it anywhere. But when we read what Jesus says, he says, I'm offering you peace, but I'm not offering you peace like the world offers it to you. I'm not offering you this, this for a moment, weak, fragile peace. It's a different kind of peace. It's a peace that doesn't simply just become overcome by the things that come against it. But somehow, some way, Jesus actually says that when confronted by the things that should rob you of your peace, the peace that he offers will cause you to overcome the things that would try to overcome your peace. Is he says, do not be troubled. What robs me of my peace? Trouble. He says, do not be afraid. What robs me of my peace? Fear, worry, anxiety. That, that something is going to happen and all of a sudden my fear overcomes my peace. I don't have peace because of the presence of these things. It will allow us to not be troubled or afraid. Jesus offers us a courageous peace. And today we're going we're gonna to take a look at the story of what courageous peace this peace of God looks like 
when it's compared to the peace of this world. These two ideas of peace and what they each look like when compared to one another. And so we turn to Numbers 13. The context for Numbers 13 is that God's chosen people, Israel, having been freed from captivity, they've, they've wandered through the wilderness and they've made it to the land that God promised would be their own. Now, it hadn't been 40 years. That, that was still to come. Is this, this, what happens in this story is, is what makes it take 40 years. But they've made it to the promised land. And they're about to enter into this land that God has given them. And, and the people come to the edge of the promised land. And Moses, who is their leader, leads them there. And they're about ready to go conquer it. And God gives them some instructions on what to do first. Uh, Numbers chapter 13, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. Pay attention to that. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so Moses does that. He gathers together 12 men, one from each tribe, and they're to go out and explore the land. But before the army, before the people move in, go out, take a look, and see what it is that God has given to us. God says, which I am giving to the Israelites. This land has been given to them, but before you go take it, go see. And so Moses gives the men some instructions. If we jump down to verse 17, he, it says this. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and onto the hill country. That's the desert that's below them and then into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or are they fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or, or poor? Is there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Moses says, go, go take a look. Before we just walk into the situation, God tells Moses to tell the people, go, go and see. Go see what's going to happen. Go see what's going to take place. Go see what you're in for, the good and the bad. Go check it out. Go see what's happening. And, and so the men actually end up spending 40 days in the land, scouting it out, and getting the story of the land that God had given them. And that's really what this land was. We just read it, that God had said, which I'm going to give to you seconds ago. We just read that. But by no means was this the first time that God had made that promise. This wasn't the first time that God had told them, hey, this land I'm going to give you, it, he had literally been doing that for hundreds of years. Many years before God had made this promise, God had promised the land to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Then he confirmed that promise to Abraham's son Isaac in Genesis 26. Then he confirmed that promise to Isaac's son Jacob in uh, Genesis 28. And he confirmed that promise to Moses, the man who was leading them now in Exodus 23. And we just read it in Numbers chapter 1 verse 2, or chapter 13 verse 2. We just read it. God has made it abundantly clear. This is a land I'm giving to you. And so the, the men go and explore. And they discover it's a good land. God had, said it, God had said it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and this is exactly what the men who go 
and explore the land find. It's a good land. Men, and the men who, who went and explored it, they come back and they tell Moses and they tell the people this. If we jump down to verse 26, it says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, for they reported to them that, and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, even the fruit is amazing. It says that they, they find a, a bunch of grapes, but the bunch of grapes is so big that it's got to be put over a stick and carried by two men. That, that it's, it's this incredible, like, amazing movie kind of scape. Of, uh, it's incredible. Everything is amazing. The fruit of the land is remarkable. Verse 27 they gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. Here is these incredible grapes. Verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The descendants of Anak are, are, are giants. They're, they're tremendously large people. And so they're saying we saw not just people, but we saw giants there. And, and, and then they go on to say, the Amalekites live in the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites live in the hill, sunny and the hill, sorry, in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And that completes their report on the land. Now sometimes, one of the things that can happen is, is we as Christians, we, 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 we can read this report and we can kind of judge harshly the 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 men, when, when we say, well, they, they talked about how good it was, but then they began to share about all the men and all the cities and the giants and everything. But it's actually what Moses asked them to do. If you go back and look, it's not a lack of faith that caused them to see these things. It's what Moses said. He said, go and see the people. Are they big or are they small? Are they few or are they many? What are their cities like? Are they walled or are they fortified? And so they're just simply reporting the truth. They're simply telling Moses and the people, look, the land is amazing. The fruit is amazing. But here's the rest of the story. We're not the first ones to discover how amazing this land is. It turns out there's all these people here already. The people were going to be a problem. This wasn't going to go smooth. God wasn't looking for them to take the promised land blind. He wasn't looking for them to go into the promised land totally unaware. The obstacles were real, but they're not the only reality. So now this is the moment where in the story of the Israelites, in the story of the taking of the promised land, that there's a fork in the road. And it's a fork that takes place in our stories as well. This is where we're forced for the rubber to hit the road of our lives, of our faith. The, for the people of Israel, they had gathered on the edge of the promised land. The promised land that God had affirmed to them over and over and over again. That this is land I'm going to give you. This is land that God has miraculously led them to. The, all of these people that are gathered there saw what God did to get them out of Egypt. He saw the miracles that God had performed and they had seen the miracles that God had done to get them from Egypt to here. And now they stand on the edge of a promise hundreds of years in the making. But it's not that simple. 
It's never that simple. God's promise and God's miracles had got them here. But now there's something clouding all of that out. And this is such a picture of how the peace of the world works or doesn't work. You see, they knew what God had promised. They knew it. But the moment that something casts a shadow across our peace, we're robbed of it. All is well and good when it's sunny and bright and things are just the way they should be. But a shadow suddenly is cast and the peace of God is gone. And for the the people, the promises of God would bring them peace that this land was given to them. But the situation suddenly casts doubt. So the men give their report, but then they sort of give their conclusions based on their report. Verse 31 But the men who had gone up with them said, we we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report of the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those who are living in it. And the people saw, and the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. The Nephilim is a whole other kettle of fish that we are not going to get into now. If you want to know more, Reach out to me. We're not going to preach on that. Um, But we seemed like grasshoppers in their own eyes. We looked the same as them. And then they go on in the next chapter to continue with the fallout. That night, the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Doubt is beginning to spread throughout the entire community of, of the Israelites. That, that the, the, the land is amazing, but, and the but is beginning to spread through everything, and the people are, they're, they're crying, and they're, they don't know what to do until they start to figure out something to do. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? God hasn't done that yet. This is a conclusion. Why has God done this? This is not what's happened. They've only heard a report, but this is their peace being robbed. Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Everything is just the way that it should be. Until the potential of something not being the way that they would have liked it to be shows up. And suddenly the entire community is thrown into chaos. God had done amazing things to get them here. But what if he doesn't do anything else? God had parted the Red Sea for them to walk through on dry land. But what if God can't handle these giants? And everything is thrown into chaos, utter chaos. And ultimately... We, we come to a place where we read that the people decide they're going to kill Moses and Aaron, the leaders who brought the people here. You see, doubt crushes peace. What if God doesn't? What if God can't? What if God won't? 
They had seen God's power and might on display during their journey in the wilderness. It, it wasn't from a lack of experience that they got to this place. They, they had seen water come from a rock. When they were in danger of starvation, they ate bread that miraculously appeared each morning. They had walked on dry ground through the heart of the Red Sea. They knew of God's power and his capability to provide food, water, and protection for them. But that was all in the past. We're looking at the future now. And the future holds a whole bunch of unanswered questions. And what if those answers we don't like? Now they're ready to go into the land that God had over and over promised them. The land they had seen the bounty of. God said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And they said God was right. It is. It's amazing. The land was there for the taking. All they had to do was exercise faith in God who had proved himself over and over again to be faithful. But doubt crushes peace. The peace of God, or the peace in their lives, the, the peace of God's promise for the people could not stand up to their doubt. It could not hold up to the shadow to the people in the land. The peace of the world disappears the moment something leans against it. And everything falls apart. But let's remember for a second what Jesus said about his peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus said his peace would prevail against the things that should cause our hearts to be troubled and to be afraid. And here's the thing that we need to understand about the promised land, about the men and their reports and, and all of the things. All of the reasons to be troubled and afraid by what was in the land, every single one of them was true. All of those people lived there. The men didn't lie. They didn't make them up. It wasn't a mirage. It wasn't somehow a temptation of the enemy that caused them to see these things. The men were there. And when you go read about the conquering of the promised land, the Israelites don't just walk in and everybody leaves. They don't just walk through it and suddenly they discover, hey, all those men that, that are, are, are men reported were here, they're just gone. They don't come to Jericho and find it empty. They don't come to the, the country of all of the, the, the Canaanites and the Hizzites and the Perizzites. They don't come and discover they've all fled. They don't come and discover they were just a mirage. It's war. It's battles. It's hard. People die. It's not easy. It's not like they get there and the promised land is just handed to them. The men were right. They were right about everything. It was all true. Everything they said in their report was true. Now, the conclusions that they drew, those are rubbish. But all of the stuff that they said about the land, it's all true. But it was a fork in the road that got them there. There was another path. The fork in the road led them to their conclusions. Everything was true, but we can trust God or we can trust ourselves. 
a path that shows us to what the peace of God looks like in our lives because there were some who took that path. There were some of the men who went into the land that took the path of the peace of God. There's a man named Caleb. He's part of the people given the report. And notice, he does not say anything that the other men said is, tr- is not true. They're all true. Even though, or the, the things that caused everyone else to doubt and fear, they were all true. But Caleb, who's chosen the other path, he says this in verse 30 of Numbers 13. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. There was two paths. One that led to we need to go back to Egypt. And one that leads to let's go take the promised land. All the things that left the others doubtful and fearful. Caleb knows them. Caleb saw them for himself. He laid eyes on all of these things. This isn't him doubting the report. He's one of the ones who saw the giants. He saw the fortified cities. He saw all the people. He saw them. He knows the same things as the others, but those things that robbed the others of peace could not rob Caleb of his. Not him. While the others doubted, his heart isn't troubled. While the others were fearful, he's not afraid. The very things that Jesus said, my peace will bring to them, we see in Caleb's life. So we're left with a fork in the road for us today. Is our peace standing up to our doubt? Are our doubts overwhelming our peace? Leaving us with troubled hearts and afraid hearts. Now the hard part that made it hard for the Israelites and that can make it hard for us today is that sometimes our doubts are justified. The things that look to rob us of our peace are real. You see, it can be easy for preachers to stand up and tell people Oh, don't, you don't need to, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's all in your head. It's all made up. We just need to walk in in these things. We just need to see these things and and understand that it's not really real. But sometimes in our lives, there are things that will make us afraid. There are things that justifiably we should look at and go, that gives me doubt. That gives me fear. That gives me worry. There are some times that we go through seasons and places in our lives where it's not just simply easy. There are giants in the promised land. There are cities that need to be taken. There's going to be war. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be challenging times in our lives. This is something that's going to take place. If we just simply try and live in denial of it, we're not living in the denial, or we're not living in the peace that Jesus has given to us. Because if we just try and say, none of it's there, none of it's true, then I don't need to be worried about whether or not I'll be afraid, because I'm not going to let myself be afraid. But Jesus says, my peace will be there even when you're afraid. 
They were all too real. And that can be our story at times. Your doubts may be founded in reality. Can God really do this? Can God really provide for that? Can God really whatever it may be? And this is where the rubber of our peace hits the road. Can your peace stand up to your doubts? Because if it can't, then we've got the wrong kind of peace. If it can't, our peace is the peace of man. The peace that is fragile and weak. But when it can stand up, then we discover the peace of God. The peace that Jesus offers. The peace that allows us to look at a land full of giants and say, let's go. We can do this. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you know us so intimately, that you created us, that your word will tell us, that you knit us together inside of our mother's womb, that your word will tell us that from the foundations of the earth, you knew us and you had, and you had created us and you had made us into us. And so God, I thank you that you, that means that you are well aware of our weaknesses and our flaws. I thank you that that means you are well aware of where I fall short. That you are well aware of my doubts, my fears, my worries, and my insecurities. I thank you that that means that when, when I have these issues, when I have these times in my life, I thank you that it doesn't catch you by surprise and you're not put off and you're not scared of, of my failings and my weaknesses. God, I thank you that your word will tell us that you love me even in the middle of all of my failings and weaknesses. So God, I pray for me. I pray for, for all of our Hillside Church family. God, would you help us not to look for peace in the world? Would you help us not to confuse the peace of the world with the peace that you offer? Would you help us not to look for moments of peace and quiet and somehow think that this is what you've offered us? But God, I pray that we would be able to lay down the peace of the world, that we would not quest after the peace that only leads us to a breaking, the peace that only leads us to, to not being able to, to be unafraid, to be untroubled. But God, would you help us to lay down a peace that's so fragile and weak? God, would you help us to discover the peace that you've promised, a peace that ex exists in chaos, a peace that exists in the middle of doubt. God, even as we, we walk the roads these days that can seem to be so difficult to understand and so difficult to have peace in, God, would you help us to find a peace that's stronger than our circumstances? Would you give us the gift of that peace? God, I thank you that, that that's what you have for us, that that's what you've promised us, a peace that would go above and beyond our circumstances. God, I pray for each one of us that this would become more and more and more and more and more the reality in our lives. God, help us to walk in your peace. In your name we pray, amen. Hi, I'm Mel. Um, some of you may not know me. We're kind of in and out at church. Um, and obviously we haven't been there for like almost a year, a couple times here and there. 
Anyways, um, I would like to share my testimony with you today. And I'll start out by noting how blessed I am to be here sharing it with you. Um, I firmly believe that God can work all things for good. And through my story, I intend to encourage others to feel the same way. Um, I'm going to rewind to a pivotal moment in my life in 1998 during a youth Christian concert in Red Deer. I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. At this time, I was in grade seven and I was the age of 12. During this season of my life, I encountered bullying on a daily basis at school, which would play into some of the choices I would make in the coming years. Um, although I knew God's love at the time, I was constantly hustling for connection and acceptance. I would do almost anything to be accepted by my peers, including smoking, smoking marijuana, and doing things that I knew were wrong. At the age of 15, I lost a really close friend to suicide. Although I thought I was handling it well, I evidently was not. Shortly after that, I started dating a 23-year-old man who indirectly encouraged me to drop out of high school and start doing hard drugs. Over the next five years, I would become a crystal meth addict, move countless times, lose friends, lose family, and get arrested. As I write this, I can feel myself being filled with anxiety and just how easily I gave in to the devil's temptations. Uh, these temptations were in the form of comfort, lack of responsibility, easy decisions, and ignoring problems. I am comforted now when I look back at all the times that God was there for me though. He had left the 99 and was in constant pursuit of me. At the time, I wasn't aware of it. I was however aware that every time I walked into a drug house and was surrounded by other addicts, I always felt different, I guess, than the people I was surrounded with. Um, there was one time I remember quite clearly where I know, now that I look back, God was intervening. Um, I was to spend the evening, and when I say evening, I mean early morning hours between 12 a.m. and 5 a.m. with a friend of mine named Jesse. Uh, my best friend and I ended up getting into a huge fight that evening because she didn't want me to go, so I didn't. Uh, sometime in the early morning, a girl that was hanging out with him rushed into our place, clearly shaken by the events that night. Jesse was shot and killed and died in the middle of the street. Another friend was shot and taken to hospital where he was saved. After this turn of events, I fell deeper into the darkness. At the time, I wasn't aware of God's presence at all. I couldn't see it. A few months had passed and my best friend and I, the one that God was clearly speaking through the night uh, that she fought with me and encouraged me to stay home, uh, we were up doing meth together when she had a bad reaction to the drugs. Her throat started swelling and it became hard for her to breathe. A friend came and took us to the hospital and on the ride there, I said the first prayer that I had said in years. I prayed to God in the backseat of that car to make every light as we hit it, turn green, and that I would not lose her. As we drove, I watched every single light turn green. Sorry. <laughs> we made it to the hospital where my friend was given life-saving intervention and she survived. 
was such a loser. <laughs> um, the next day, as I was reflecting on God's answer to my prayers, I prayed again. I prayed for sobriety and for the course of my life to change. Over the next few months, I noticed my thought patterns about drugs and my lifestyle began to change. And in January of 2006, I quit doing crystal meth cold turkey. I think it is important to note that this because a lot of women who try to get clean from drugs are turned back to them because you gain a lot of weight. Please know that this weight fell off as easily as it went on in about one year's time. So anybody who's trying to get clean and is discouraged by that, just write it out. It's worth it. Um, I started dating my soulmate, Matt, in March of 2006. And together, we stayed clean and picked up the millions of little pieces our lives were in together. In November of 2007, Pastor Brad married us here in Airdrie. Although the road has been rocky and we had to live out some of the very real consequences our choice in our earlier years brought us, I am happy to sit here before you saying, through God, anything is possible. So keep praying for your loved one who seems lost in addiction. Keep reaching out for help and keep your head up. God is in pursuit of you and if you allow him in, he will move your mountains. I find when you are praying for God to move mountains, it helps to lean on a Bible verse. Some of the ones I have come to love are the following. Isaiah 54, 17, Proverbs 3, 5, 1 Peter 3, 11, and Psalms 46, 10. Thanks for listening. Looking like the end of it all. Somewhere hidden in the noise is a truth. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. HillsideAirdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at HillsideAirdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. Just about to break And all the innocence you thought that you lost Was there inside of you all along Come on and keep on hoping When the days get dark Keep on singing Don't you ever lose heart Lift your eyes The one who gave you life Will give you strength to give up Go away So keep on hoping
Just keep on hoping